This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs.
people said, Amen. He is indeed a great God. And we get to, uh, we get some, to spend some time opening His Word today. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11 will, will provide probably about 70% of our, our time in, in Scripture. We'll be supplementing with some other verses, but Ezekiel chapter 28 uh, we are going to wrap up our our sermon series that we entitled "So What's Next," and just really fast here for those of you that were actually listening four weeks ago when we kicked off this series, I indicated that depending on how we got along, we might have a session where we answered some common questions, um, and we're going to do that this evening, not this morning. Uh, but here's some of the questions that are on tap: Do our pets go to heaven? And as you can imagine, we're going to have a lot of fun with that one. We might even mention cats in this one. Um, another question we will look at is, what about cremation? I mean, uh, what does the Bible say about this? And, and, and back in, in the Old Testament, the pagans had a practice of cremation, and so it was frowned on. And what does the Bible, if, if anything, what does it say about cremation? Another question, is it okay just out of fun, out of curiosity, is it okay to go to a palm reader, a crystal ball reader, or maybe call one of those uh, psychics, you know, Madam Weirdo, to see if they can tell us where we lost our car keys? I mean, just out of fun. Is it okay to do that? Or is it okay to go to one of the visiting prophets that come to different churches and have them prophesy over us and tell us about our past and, and maybe even tell us what's in the future? Um, what, what does God say about that? Another question can those who die see what we're doing here on earth? I mean, we hear this all the time. You know, my grandmother's in heaven looking down on us. Can my grandma see everything we do? I mean, that could get embarrassing at times. <laughs> um, or, or how many times have we heard someone say, well, God wanted another rose in his rose garden, and so he plucked my loved one to be his rose. Or, or God wanted another voice in his choir. So... He took so-and-so. Is that really the way that God decides whom He takes through death? So this evening, we're going to have a good time trying to answer some of those questions. And, and if you can't be here, that's okay. That's what's so wonderful about this period in history. There are many different Bible study resources available for people at all levels. So you can do the same research that I did. One more thing before we begin, I, I realize there are many other things that we could have studied, and some of you are very good to suggest different topics that you wish I would speak on, and uh, I, uh, I, I know we could have covered the, the rapture of the church, that's a very important doctrine, we could have talked about the great tribulation, we could have talked about the mark of the beast, you know, we've dealt with those topics at different times, and I'm sure there will be a time when God leads us into those topics, but honestly... I feel released from this series, from this topic, and so after today, we're going to move on. All right, this morning we're going to look at four of the most common strategies that Satan uses in his battle to gain possession of our soul. And our scripture today is, is, is just a little bit strange, and, and unless you are a seasoned student of the Word, and some of you are, some of you are seasoned, you are knowledgeable, and when I have a question about the Bible, I go to you, but... Unless you're a seasoned student of the Word, 
you're probably going to look at this scripture as uh, some type of cryptic or coded language. But I think as we get into it, you'll see that it's not really as confusing as it appears initially. Let's, let's read our scripture again, Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11. Today I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. And again, those of you that have smartphones, if you choose to follow along uh, through the Version app, there's, uh, there's some uh, instructions on how to do that in, in your bulletin. But verse 11 reads this, this way. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Now, the following verses, you're going to get about as complete of a description of Satan as the Bible has in any one place. Here it is. You were a model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You, you walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread, widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. And I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out from you, and it consumed you. And I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. All the nations who knew you are appalled at you. You've come to a horrible end and will be no more. A little bit strange, isn't it? But this scripture gives us so much insight into the ways of Satan. Let's look at the first strategy of Satan that we find here in the scripture. And it's so very simple, but the first strategy is passivity. When, when we deal with Satan, the danger is that we become very passive towards him. And we begin to treat him as, as a harmless Halloween character. But I want to emphasize that Satan is not like Casper the friendly ghost. He's not harmless. No, the Bible describes him as a roaring lion wanting to devour you. And even though I've never had a lion come chasing after me, thank God, I've had other animals try to chase me down, some dogs and, and uh, even a cow one time, and, and I did not react passively towards that. I, um, I, I told you the story a few years ago, but this gives you another opportunity to laugh at the preacher. But one day I was out turkey hunting and and I was walking through a field to get to a place that I was going to set up. And in that field were, were a bunch of cattle. Now, I, I'm respectful of cattle. I, I, I typically, however, don't fear them. When we lived in Arkansas as a young man, Dad had about 100 cattle. And, and then different times, uh, you know, out at my farm, we've, we've had a few, few cows. And, and, and I found that cattle normally mind their own business if you don't mess with them or if you don't get too close to their newborn calf. But, but there was one mama cow... 
that for some reason didn't like me. And, and she started coming my way. And, and for those of you that have been around cows, you, you know, it's not uncommon for them. You know, out of curiosity, they'll, they'll take a few steps towards you and then just stop and stare at you. Or, or sometimes they want to get their bluff in on you. And so they'll run a few steps. And Arlen, you know this, and, and they'll stop. They're, they're just trying to get their, their bluff in on you and let you know who's in control. Normally they stop. But this mama cow didn't stop. And, and as she got closer, I saw that she wasn't coming over to get her neck rubbed. Um, and, and, and I'd really been passive up to that time because I really wasn't afraid. But, but, but I'll admit that the closer she got, my passivity ended and I sprang into action. And uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to run with a, a shotgun in your hand and heavy boots on your feet and a bulky equipment vest with decoys on your back. Uh, normally those things slow you down. But when there's a 1,200-pound cow on your tail, you forget about those things. And, um, you know, I, I, I started running. I thought I was running pretty fast for an old man, but it was obviously not fast enough. I mean, she was gaining on me, and I knew I didn't have a chance to make it over to the edge of the field where I could have jumped over the fence. So I surveyed the land in front of me, and, and I saw one little tiny shrub out in the middle of the field. That was all. That was it. And I, I think it was probably just a little clump of multiflora rosebush. It wasn't much at all, but I headed for it. And, and, and I didn't want to shoot the cow. I found you don't gain too many friends by shooting their cows. And, and plus the number six shot in my shotgun would have only made it mad. So I was going as fast as my legs would take me. And thankfully I was alone because it would have made a great video on the big screen on Sunday morning. But I made it over to the little shrub, and, and, and a shrub that that cow could have just walked through. I mean, it was nothing. And, but anyway, we faced off, and then she'd start around, and I'd head around the other side. And we just kept circling that little shrub. And thankfully, she never just walked through it. And uh, it, it was comical. This went on for a little while until she decided she'd had enough fun for the day and wandered off to tell the rest of the cows how she had made a preacher run for his life. Now... Again, as a whole, most cows aren't that dangerous. They can hurt you. But when you compare a cow to a lion, the danger factor of a cow is pretty low. But, but God says that Satan is not like a mama cow that might butt you with her head or even run over you. But instead, he says that Satan is like the king of the jungle, a roaring lion that wants to devour you and tear you apart and destroy you. And you dare not be passive when it comes to Satan's ways. Well, let's break down our scripture. Verse, verse 11 says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him. Now, the first question we need to answer is, who is this scripture referring to? You say, well, duh. It's being directed to the king of Tyre. Okay, you get a half a point. Because you're only partially right. Yes, the scripture was directed to the king of Tyre. The, the, the king of Tyre was a wicked, corrupt king. But then you must also understand that it was directed to the power behind the king of Tyre, who was the devil himself. And by the way, this sort of communication is not unusual. In other places in the Bible, we see the same thing where God addressed the devil through an individual. You know, for example, Jesus said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, Jesus was talking to Peter, but he was also talking to the devil who had motivated Peter to say what he did. So in the scripture, God is not only talking to the king of Tyre, but he's also talking to Satan. 
And, and again, notice how Satan is described in this passage. And, and the scripture, as I said, is it's actually one of the top two scriptures that gives us insight into the devil. The other one being Isaiah chapter 14. But let me just reread this so that you can kind of get in your mind what an amazing creature he actually was before he fell. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were needing the garden of God, uh, garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, and it goes and, and mentions all of those precious stones. It says your settings and, and mountings were made of gold on the day you were created. They were prepared. Now, uh, of course, this part of the scripture was not referring to the king of Tyre because the king of Tyre was never in the garden of Eden. But God is talking to Satan here, and, and he's remembering back before Satan fell. And as I brought out last week, Satan at one time had been the crown jewel of heaven. And, and these verses are describing the former beauty of Satan, mentioning precious stones. Well, then, the, the New King James Version has an additional piece uh, of insight. And, and let me just reread verse 13, and this is just a little bit different slant here. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Now, what in the world is that saying? Well, th this scripture leads Bible scholars to, to wonder if Satan was a master musician. And, and I'm specu speculating here, this is just me, but I, I wonder if before Satan fell, that he would just fill the heavens with incredible praise music. Um... And again, this is just Trussell here, but I wonder if this isn't one of the reasons that Satan is still working through music today. I mean, look at how many music groups promote the cause of Satan. Um, and I did a little bit of research on this, and some of it was just too graphic to even mention uh, on a Sunday morning. But uh, some of the rock groups promote suicide and even murder. Some of the lyrics it, it talked about were talked about killing his own mom and you say well that's why i listen to country music well your type of music is no better i mean look how many country and western songs basically sanction and promote immorality you know you got to have a dog you got to have a pickup and somebody else's woman that's basically it so just as music can be a tool of god so can music be a tool of satan well, let's see what else it says. Verse 14. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. Now, again, we've already mentioned this. Before Lucifer fell, he wasn't just any angel. He was the guardian cherub, which would be the highest level of angels. Now, before we move on, let me try to clear up a common misconception. And, and I don't know if you've ever played the game of antonyms. And, and let me back up. First of all, what is a synonym? Well, that's something, you know, a word that has the same meaning of another word. We say, well, it's six or half a dozen. Those are synonymous. Okay, what is an antonym? Well, an antonym is a word that has the opposite meaning of another word. And, and so this morning, we're going to play a game, the game of antonyms. I'm going to say a word and you give me the antonym or the opposite, okay? Just shout it out. Up. Backward, left, good, God, 
now that wasn't really fair because that was a trick question. And that's a mistake that many of us make. We, we think, okay, over here is God. And then the exact opposite is Satan. Um, and they're equal opposites. That's what we say. But they're not. Satan, he was a created being. He's not the, all, he's not the opposite of an all-powerful God. Now, he's very powerful, and in our own strength, we're no match for him. But he is no match for an all-powerful God. So understand that, yes, there is a God that's all-powerful, and then there is a created being that's not all-powerful. And we need to understand that as we do battle against him. Okay, so as we wrap up this first point, the, the truth is that, you know, we may wonder what all this cryptic language means in Ezekiel, but... We understand enough to see that Satan was a being that was highly exalted. And when he fell, catch this, he took his talents, his skills, his abilities, his beauty, his power. And he began using them to destroy our souls. And we dare not be passive when it comes to Satan. Secondly, in dealing with the devil, I want you also to be aware, beware of pride. Of course, in verse 15, we read where Satan was obsessed with himself. He was his own greatest admirer and promoter. And, and, and when he fell, you know, his beauty and brightness, they, they followed him. That They were corrupted in a sense, but there are still traces of his beauty and charm. And the Bible describes him not as some repulsive, scaly monster with hooves and horns, but, but the Bible says... He masquerades as an angel of light. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 and 15. So, so what does the word masquerade mean? Well, in a sense, it just means that Satan puts on a mask. And he comes across as an angel of light. Which means we shouldn't just look for the devil in places of wickedness. You know, sometimes we think, well, the devil's going to be in the crack houses and, you know, he's going to be in the bars and all of those wicked places like that. that, that that's, and, and, and that's true. But sometimes we find the devil in churches, even in pulpits, working through pastors who preach a false gospel. Sometimes we see him working through, uh, working as he did in the life of one of the pastors in this community who denied the infallibility of Scripture. You will sometimes find Satan working through the membership of churches. In fact, this is kind of surprising, but most church problems are not caused by alcoholics, drug addicts, you know, those that typically we would label as being bad. Satan generally comes and uses the remnants of his beauty to cause good and moral people to bring problems and division. Or do you know one of his favorite tactics in a church? Apathy. Apathy. Apathy among the leadership. You know, just same old, same old. 
just kind of floating along. Yeah, we have a good time in church. And Satan's strategy is to cause us to be full of apathy. And he attacks good people like us here today. Um, let me use a couple of oxymorons. And we've talked about synonyms. We've talked about antonyms. The English language has another interesting word, oxymoron. And, and by the way, oxymoron has nothing to do with anyone being a moron, okay? But an oxymoron is the use of two words that conflict with each other. And we say, boy, the food was awful good or awfully good. Okay, was it awful or was it good? That's an oxymoron. And we can use oxymorons to describe Satan. Um, he's brilliantly stupid. He's hideously beautiful. And that's why the Bible says that he will be able to deceive the very elect church leaders, church members, because he masquerades, he puts on a mask, and he comes across as an angel of light, and we believe him. So pride is what brought Satan down, and, and listen, when, when we allow pride in our heart, we join hands with the devil. There's nothing that makes us more vulnerable to Satan than pride. But there's nothing that makes us more untouchable to Satan than genuine humility. And pride is one of the devil's primary weapons. How did Satan get Eve to fall in the garden? It wasn't a temptation to fall down. It was a temptation to rise up. It wasn't a temptation to be ungodly. But it was a temptation to try to be on the same level of God. And, and do this and you'll be like God. You'll understand things like God. That's nothing more than pride. And, you know, we, we become proud in so many ways. We, you know, we talk about the common types of pride, you know, pride towards our accomplishments or our successes, our, our ability to make money. And, but, but, you know, I found that in, in a church, it seems like people can even be prideful of their spirituality. We can be proud that we haven't fallen into sin like those losers. You know, we can become proud that we attend church every week. Not like those yo-yo Christians that are, you know, up and down and all around. They just pop in once in a while. We, we can become proud that, that we've done such a great job raising our kids and our family and, and they've turned out right. And in contrast to so-and-so's family, they sure didn't turn out right and, and they're leaders in the church. Pride has so many different faces. And you know what I've come to realize is I see pride in you. You see pride in me. But rarely do we see it in ourselves. And that's why Satan can cause us to become prideful. And we never see Satan working in us. Well, another strategy of Satan is overconfidence. Um, you know, we sing that good old hymn, Victory in Jesus, and and I think sometimes we have the idea that we can just simply steamroll over the devil. But, but don't ever underestimate Satan because he is commander-in-chief to vast numbers of beings that we call demons. 
Now, now the devil is not omnipresent. In other words, he can't be everywhere at the same time like God can. The, the devil is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything like God does. Uh, uh, the devil is not omnipotent. He is not all-powerful like God is. But Satan tries to make up for those deficiencies with, with multitudes of demons that, that do his work for him. And, and sometimes, you know, when we've had a rough day, we'll say, oh, I've been wrestling with the devil all day long. Now, we may be joking, but sometimes there's more truth to it than you probably realize because Satan is in charge of a force of demons that do oppress and, and they do harass on a daily basis. And, and don't get overconfident and, and think that you're above falling because the Bible says, beware lest you fall. And yesterday I was just, uh, I was in my office just praying and studying, and making some final tweaks. And, and I, I just want to kind of share my heart. Um, something that really causes me to, to great fear, and, and that's the thought of, in a moment of weakness, doing something stupid that would cause me to fall and, and bring shame on my, my family or on the kingdom of God. You know, God has protected me from so many things. And, you know, by God's grace, I, I, I don't drink. You know, by God's grace, I don't chew. By God's grace, I don't smoke by God's grace I don't have a problem with pornography by God's grace I've been faithful to my wife and I'm not saying those things to brag this is God's grace only because I am so very capable of falling and, and what puts the fear in me is that all it takes is one slip up one moment of weakness and what has taken me a lifetime to earn can come crashing down in one moment. And so I dare not become overconfident. Friends, you dare not become overconfident as well. Now, there, there are a couple of other things that may not necessarily fit in under this point just neatly, but I want to make sure and mention that before we go to the last point. Verse 16 helps us to understand that Satan is known for his violence and it says, through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence. I don't know if you're aware, but our world is a violent place and is getting more violent. Why? It's Satan. You know, when you read about the violence in Chicago and St. Louis and Detroit, and, and if you ever read the police report in our own community, there's a word that you see quite a bit, assault. Assault. You know, when we, when we hear about that, we're quick to blame it on something. You know, well, it's a gun issue, or it's a drug issue, or it's an alcohol issue, or it's the lack of parenting skills, or, or it's a racial issue, or, or it's because Hollywood features violence in a majority of their shows. And those things are not the real cause of violence. Satan uses them, but violence in our society stems back to the fact that Satan has a violent past. And he does his best to promote violence through every conceivable way. Last strategy. 
that Satan use, uses here is negativism. Satan's goal is to get you so down to where you begin to think that there's no use in even trying. I don't know if you've ever been there. You know, I just don't have it in me. You keep messing up and you begin to think, huh, why? Why even try? I just don't have it in me. Just not disciplined enough. Just not good enough. Or sometimes he uses negativism to think that make you think that you're the only one that's really following God and, and the rest of these people, you know what? Why can't they get it together? You know, here I am a committed follower of Jesus Christ and, and why can't the church, why can't the pastor really get it together and be relevant and, and why can't my friends just follow the Lord and have a heart for God? And, you know, if, if we're not careful, we become so negative towards everybody and everything. Notice what God said in Ezekiel. Whenever you begin to feel down and negative, this ought to encourage you. It says, your heart became proud on account of your beauty. So again, he was pretty amazing. You corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. Now, now watch this. This is where it gets good. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out from you. It consumed you. And I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. So if you're down, if you're discouraged, if you're depressed, the great news I give you is that Jesus conquered Satan at Calvary. And that's what he's talking about. He threw him down. And the Bible also says in, in Hebrews 2.14, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. <laughs> you know, when Jesus Christ was on the cross, the demons of hell had a holiday. And they pointed at him, and, and they laughed, and they scorned, and they said, It is finished! He's finished! But they were wrong because... He wasn't finished. Rather, it was finished. The plan of salvation was finished. And, and here's what Jesus did on the cross. Colossians 2.15 And having disarmed, the King James Version says spoiled, and having spoiled the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So this verse says that Satan has been stripped of his powers. You know, he's disarmed. It says that he's been shamed. God made a public spectacle of him. And then he's been subdued. Jesus triumphed over him. So we hear a lot about 666. That's Satan's number, but God's number is 777. And 777 has defeated 666. And every time you think of Satan, I want you to think of someone who has been stripped, shamed, and subdued. Stripped, shamed, subdued. Stripped, shamed, subdued. Say that with me. One, two, three. Stripped, shamed, subdued. Say it again. Stripped, shamed, subdued. But let me say this. Even though Satan has been stripped, shamed, subdued, if you get out of God's protective care, the devil can still hurt you. A couple of months ago, we took uh, Jace to the animal safari outside of Springfield. And 
And of course, there are signs everywhere that you drive through. Please stay inside your vehicle. Make sure your windows are up. But, you know, I think that anybody that has half an ounce of a risk within them will roll their window down. And at least let some of the animals stick their head inside your car. And, and uh, you know, we had to do that if you go to the next slide there. And, uh, you know, how could you turn down this innocent-looking zebra? And we found out afterwards that uh, a zebra had taken off somebody's finger. I mean, just took it off. And but uh, such an innocent face there. And that doesn't look so innocent. It looks weird. But anyway... Um, you know, we, we just, the Trussell risk quotient, quotient is pretty high. We push the, the envelope. But, but all of that to say that as long as you stay in your car, you're safe. But you know what? If you decide to get out of your car, you're on your own. It's the same way with God. As long as you abide in Christ, you're safe. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean that you won't have some attacks, but you're safe. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Satan has been stripped, shamed, subdued. But remember, if you quit abiding, you're on your own. So as we wrap up, our four-week series here. Um, could I encourage you to keep abiding in Him? How do you do that? How do you abide in Christ? One way is you've got to stay in the Word. And can I just say something that sounds like a really legalistic and judgmental statement and that's the way it comes across, I guess, so be it. But if you are in the Word on a daily basis, you're not a, probably not abiding in Christ. This is light. This is life. You say, well, what else? Stay on your knees in prayer. We are the hurry-up generation. It seems like our day is the two-minute drill every day. You know, the two-minute offense. No huddle offense. And, and, and that's our day. And I believe God would be pleased for us to just call a time out and just spend time, unhindered time, with God. See what he says to you. I feel like today we have basically uh, we've decided to do life on our own instead of abiding in him. Make him your focus. And, and I know there's a lot of pain a lot of pain in our world but one day the battle will be over <laughs> Satan will be cursed and thrown into the lake of fire but those who have been abiding in Christ will be blessed and promoted to a place called the New Jerusalem 
and we will live with Jesus forever and ever and ever. If you're discouraged this morning, if you're depressed, if remember, there's a great day coming for the children of God. And I don't want to miss out on what, what God has for us in this time of hi- in history. And sometimes we can just live with eternity in mind, and we should, but we neglect the now. And, and I believe God has assignments for us. And He wants to see us make a difference in our world. And He wants to see us seek God with all of our heart. So as we, as we move on uh, from this series into other things as God leads us, stay close to God. Don't get overconfident. Don't be passive. Don't be prideful. And don't be negative because a great day is coming. He's been stripped, shamed, subdued. Stripped, shamed, subdued. Would you please stand to your feet? God, I ask that you would help us to be people that would abide in you. Oh Lord, I pray that there would be something fresh about our walk with you this week. Lord, I pray that we would put ourselves in a position to where you can do something. Father, that we would forget all of the stuff that takes about 95% of our attention. And Lord, that we would just focus on you and, and your glory, your majesty, your mercy, your forgiveness. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be ready. And whenever Satan does attack us, that we would not be passive. Lord, that we would flee when we need to flee and fight when we need to fight. God, I pray that we would not allow ourselves to become prideful of anything that we do because it's not us, it's all your grace and mercy. Oh Lord, I pray that you would help us to be not, not be overconfident. It's not through our strength, but it's only through Jesus. And then, Lord, for those of us that are just discouraged, I pray, God, that we would understand there is a better day coming and that we would live in readiness for that time. And, Father, that our eyes would be on Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray, we pray a blessing on these wonderful people here this morning. And as they go out from here, that we would be abiding in you, abiding in you, in the vine, and Father, we believe you're going to do amazing things through these missionaries that are going to leave these doors this week. Father, we pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. There's a great day coming. Let's abide in Christ. Be ready for it. You're dismissed. Thanks for coming. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.